Good morning. How are you? Go ahead and slap somebody a high five and tell them I'm so glad to see you on Easter Sunday. Want to hear something funny? Last service, our first service, uh, we're running three services today. Our first service, I got stuck for a moment. You know how you kind of get a breath? And I said, go ahead and slap. And I saw somebody go like this. I said, no, stop. Slap somebody a high five. So welcome to Church at the Bridge. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here. And it is a pleasure to have you here today with us. I want to thank you for joining us this Easter Sunday and welcome you. Now, today is a day where most people take the opportunity to at the very least reflect upon the life account, the historical account of Jesus' life, but most importantly, his resurrection. And look, here's a couple of things that we know. We know that Jesus actually walked this earth. We know that Jesus did great miracles. There's no question of that. It turned the world upside down. We know that Jesus was a man who did amazing things and brought a message that was completely contradictory to the norm of his day. And so today we're going to be taking a step back into that day when Jesus rose again. Now I want you to think about this. That's a pretty big deal when you start talking about Easter. Think about it. To rise from the dead back to life. Now, I know for some of us, we can't relate to that because you didn't die yet, right? I get that. But the Easter story is so much more than just about the resurrection of Christ. As we're going to see today, the story of Easter, the true message of Easter and the gospel is that it's not just about Jesus' resurrection, but it's about our resurrection unto new life. And I want to point your attention to the scriptures on that. And so as a result, as we're going to see today, every day we have a new day. And today I'd like to share some thoughts with you on the subject of Easter and how it serves as an announcement to each and every one of us that we have a new day. A new day. Go ahead and tell somebody it's a new day. Tell somebody else it's a new day. Now for some of us, that hasn't quite connected yet. It's just words at this moment. So look, before we dig into this, we have to fully appreciate the background story, what was going on that led up to this day. And what we see according to the scriptures is this. We're not going to dig too much into it, but what we see is in the days leading up to the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus, those very few days, that week before he was arrested and then ultimately crucified and then he rose again, what we see is that there was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of confusion. You see, this guy Jesus came to Jerusalem at a time where the Passover feast was about to be prepared, which means this, that Jerusalem, this small little city that contained about anywhere between 100,000 to 300,000 people, all of a sudden had quite a few million people. So it's crowded. And Jesus shows up in the midst of this place, Jerusalem, in these last days before he's crucified, and he begins to make some statements that are radical. He says to them, hey, this temple... I'm going to tear it down, and in three days, I'll build it back up. And what that did was it challenged the mindset of people, and they said, wait, it took hundreds of years to build this temple, and you, you're going to tear it down, and you're going to raise it back up? By what authority? Who are you? Jesus began to talk about things like he said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus made statements where he said, I am the Son of God. And so it really caused an uproar amongst the crowds. So much so that the religious leadership 
came to a decision. They said, we have to do something about this. This is stirring up the people. Never mind that the Romans were there in town because the people, the Jewish people had all come for the Passover. So there was always a threat of riots. So there's all this tension going on. And Jesus, in the midst of all this, is healing people and crossing boundaries that no one thought were possible. You see, the message that Jesus brought was a simple one and yet a foreign one in its day. Jesus dared to say that each and every one of us were loved by God. Now, in this day and age, you you hear that all the time, right? Oh, God loves you. It's cliche. But in those days, and according to the Jewish norms, to, to equate oneself as lovable by God was blasphemy. It was looked down upon. And so here's the thing. Jesus brought all this hope. He performed all these miracles. He did all these great things. He inspired the lives of people so much so that droves followed him. But then something went seemingly wrong. He was crucified. And at that point, everything seemed to come to a crashing end. Today we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. You can use your phones or you can just follow us right here on one of the screens. But I want you to consider the aftermath of what had just happened. So starting at verse 1, it says that Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, who's another woman, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. I want you to get a picture of what's actually happening here. They went and bought these very expensive and specific spices that were used for one thing, to preserve a dead body. Remember that point. And so verse 2 goes on to say that very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way there, the scriptures tell us that they got real smart. They realized something. They asked each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. uh, You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Watch what he says to them. He says, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. And you will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled the tomb. Watch how they fled, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. I'd like us all to just take a moment to insert ourselves into this story. I want you to imagine that you have all this hope, all these dreams that you have seen what life, your life, can be like at the utmost, that you've witnessed healing in your emotions, that you've witnessed what peace actually not just feels like, but looks like as a lifestyle, that you have confidence in God and that you don't question your own identity and that you don't look at yourself based upon your mistakes. I want you to consider what life such as that way would look like. 
You see, that's what Jesus brought. And then all of a sudden, to have it all taken away. The Bible tells us that thousands upon thousands of people followed Jesus, but at the day when he was crucified, it says that there were two women and one of his disciples. And that the very people that followed him were the ones now spitting at him, cursing him, saying to him, hey, if you're truly the son of God, why don't you come down from the cross and prove it to us? Show us that you're the Christ. And so the thing is that Jesus, even on the cross, exemplified the message of the gospel, the core of his message. Listen to what John chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 says. It says, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Here's what Jesus was talking about. He's saying, I have to be risen up, raised up on a cross. But watch why. It says, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. Watch verse 17. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So get this picture. Get what Jesus was talking about. Because in this day and age, relationship with God was based on adherence to laws. It was based on our behavior. It was based on what you looked like. It was based on what you acted like. It was based upon your lineage. It was based upon your understanding of the religious laws. It was based upon how you presented before people, how you spoke before people, how you behaved before people. And so people judged you right with God based upon your performance. The problem with that is this, that the Bible tells us that Jesus said, I have to be lifted up. I have to be crucified for one purpose, so that everyone who believes in me, here's what he's saying, everyone who puts puts confidence in what I did will have eternal life. See, the truth of the matter is this, that the gospel, the message from God that we have by the example of the life of Jesus has nothing to do with religion. Listen, it's got nothing to do with how much you shimmy. It's got nothing to do with how many hallelujahs you cry out. It's got nothing to do with what you wear. It's got nothing to do with the church you're affiliated with. Last time I checked, there is nowhere in Scripture where we see one denomination. Not one. You won't find Episcopalian. You won't find Pentecostal. You won't find Evangelical. You won't find this or that. All you find is Christ crucified and raised again. That's the one thing that unites humanity. See, we create the divisions, and we're the ones who place the standards that say you qualify and you don't. Notice that the scripture says that God so loved the world. Go ahead and tell somebody, he's talking about me. Tell somebody else, he's talking about you. Listen closely, listen closely. When God decided to express his love, here's what he didn't say. I pick you and I don't pick you and I I pick you, but I don't pick you. No, he chose all mankind. He loved the entire world. You know what that means? That the person who's locked up in prison for the rest of their life for some heinous crime is equally loved just as much as you and I. See, there's no level to sin in the eyes of God. When I was a kid, I used to believe that one day I would find myself before God. This is how I used to think when I was a little kid. 
based upon my experience. You know, kids, they, they pick up on things at a very young age. And so the church that I went to, I was going to hell for everything. I was going to hell for going to the movies. I was going to hell for hanging out on the corner with some friends. And they were doing the bad stuff, and I wasn't doing anything. But here's my point. I grew up with this mindset that there were scales that God would use. And if you did more good than you did bad, you know what? You're good with God. And the truth is this, that according to the scriptures, sin is sin. But watch this. At the foot of the cross, God leveled the playing field. He leveled the playing field. So it doesn't matter what your experience has been. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what mistakes you will make. Now, I'm not saying that they don't matter. There are consequences to them. But my point is simply this, that no matter what we may do, a price was paid in full. It was paid in full. And so as a result of this message, the Bible reveals that Jesus turned the hearts of many people and brought about great miracles in the lives of many. But the only problem is that where we find ourselves right now, inserting ourselves into the story is that he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. It's been days. And these women go to the tomb, and this is where the story gets interesting. As they're heading to the tomb, so heavy is the hurt upon their heart. So harsh is the disappointment weighing upon them. The discontent, the embarrassment. Because these women dared to declare boldly that he was the son of God and now he's dead. The scriptures tell us that the disciples were hiding for fear of the religious elite. They were afraid. And so these women didn't come out boldly going to the tomb. No, they went out in secret. And as they're approaching this point, here's here's what we realize. That they're going to a tomb, and then all of a sudden they get a bright idea and they go, wait. So heavy was the hurt in their hearts that they didn't even think about, how are we going to get into the tomb? And the scripture tells us something. That at that point they arrive at the tomb, and that the tomb is open. It's open. And so they do... What some of us would do. You ever watch one of those movies and you say, don't go there. (laughs) Like they can actually hear you. Like they're going to follow your, it's part of the movie. It's part of the script. Well, you know, it's part of the script of our lives. We have an interest in going places that sometimes aren't the best for us. Let me tell you what I mean by that. These women, remember what the scripture says, are going to the tomb with spices to preserve a dead body. Let me tell you how that applies to our lives because sometimes we go to places that we know we shouldn't. We go to deep, dark places somehow believing that there's still a benefit to them in our lives. See, I, I, I hope none of you have ever had the experience of having to carry something dead, but here's something about dead places, dead people, dead things. Number one, they stink. Number two, they're heavy. Number three, they add nothing to life. And so these women are going with the intention of preserving the remains of Jesus at the expense of the message of the life that he provided them.
Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 tells us what was happening behind the scenes while the world was lamenting, while people were hurting, while people languished in confusion and, 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 and hurt and, and felt deflated and hopeless. Watch what Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 tell us. It says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. You know what the scripture is saying there? It's saying that you and I owed a debt. Legally, we owed it. It says, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So get this, Jesus is on the cross and everyone is saying, defeat. Ha, I told you he wasn't the son of God. If you're really the son of God, come on down from that cross and prove it to us. And everybody in the world is perceiving defeat. And what they're not realizing is that it's really victory. It's really victory. Let me tell you why. That word spectacle there is very interesting in in verse 15. If you read this in context, what you'll see is it says that Jesus led us in a trail of triumph. And that what he did was he announced victory to the captives. He announced the gospel to the captives and he set them free from the bondage of sin and death. You know what the scripture is revealing to us? That Jesus actually went to hell and proclaimed that. So while we're here believing this is hell, life sucks, this is hard, I can't, and we're perceiving life hopeless and helpless, what we're not seeing is that God is at work through Jesus Christ. And that word spectacle is interesting there because in the Greek, here's what it depicts. It's a, it's a word that alludes to a Roman practice of what they would do when they would conquer a foreign kingdom. Here's what they would do. After they defeated these, this foreign kingdom that they overtook, they would grab the king, and here's what the king would do. They would cut the thumbs off of the other king. They would cut the thumbs off the king for one purpose, so that he could never grab a sword again. And then they would ridicule him and beat him, and they would drag him in chains and bring him in a procession before all the people of Rome. And here's what all the people of Rome would realize. There is no longer a reason to fear this king. So watch what the scripture is saying. That when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he was making an announcement. And he was saying, the issue of sin, the issue of death, the issue of Satan overcoming and being a power in your life has been triumphed over by this great victory on the cross. But you see... If all we seek is dead places, if all we do is lean towards our continual source of hurt and the ongoing reminder of what once was, you know what I'm talking about, sometimes your own self-talk. Sometimes it's the people that we care about the most. If all we do is dwell there, we do it at the expense of the life that's available to us. I said it's a new day. There's a new opportunity available in Christ. There's something more. And so these women go into this tomb expecting a dead Jesus. And what they find is he's not there. He's not there. And what ends up happening is that they forgot what he had said. 
We just read it a couple of moments ago where Jesus said, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus proclaimed, I'm going to die and rise again. But they'd forgotten that. And so as they get there, as opposed to leaving in joy, they leave in fear. They leave trembling. And the very thing that they were told to do, they're unwilling to do. The angel told them, go and tell the disciples. And the scriptures specifically tell us that they told no one. And so here's what these women failed to realize. They were looking for an open tomb for the purpose of accessing a dead Jesus. But what they failed to realize that the tomb wasn't about Jesus being dead. The open tomb was an announcement that there's an open door for each and every one of us to step out of those dead places and encounter new life with Christ. That you don't have to stay stuck there anymore. That you don't have to live according to what people have told you. That that we don't have to live according to what we've been conditioned to. It was proof that there was a way out. And today, I'm going to share this thought with you. That no matter where you may find yourself in life, there's always a way out. God has made a way. It's a new day. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 6 tells us. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But watch what the scriptures reveal. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Listen closely to this portion. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. I'm going to say that again. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So let me give you a visual illustration of this. Let me give you a visual illustration of this. The scripture says that we were once dead. And here's what it's talking about. It's talking about we couldn't shake off the guilt of sin. We couldn't shake it off. I need a volunteer. Can, can I borrow you, sir? Come on up here. What's your name? Anthony. Everybody say, hi, Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Everybody say, thank you, Anthony. All right, don't, don't, don't thank them too much because here's what the Scripture says. The Scripture reveals that we lived with guilt. We were once dead. You okay with me putting these on you? That all right? You got some big wrists, brother. <laughs> so here's what I want you to see. The Scripture says that you and I were once dead. We were stuck. We couldn't shake this off. We were guilty. So I want you to think about this. Let's assume that Anthony has just burglarized your home, tore it up, took your valuables, and he's caught red-handed. I bet you 
you're not going to go, Anthony, I'm so glad you stopped by today. Now, you know what you're probably going to do? Well, I'm not going to assume what some of you would do, but let's just suppose that we would do the legal thing, right? You pick up the phone, and you call the police officers, right? And they come, and the very first thing that they do is they look at the proof. You have Anthony, and then there's your testimony. And so here's what the judgment is. Brother, we are arresting you because there is sufficient evidence to present a case before you. And we go before the judge. Now, you're going to assume the role of the judge. So now he's before the judge. You've got all the proof you need. You've got all the testimony you need. What's your sentence? Some of you just didn't get it yet. Okay. What's your sentence? What? Guilty, right? He's guilty. Absolutely guilty. Now, that's how we understand justice in this world. That's how we understand what's right in this world. But let me show you a different story. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 11 says this, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know what the scripture is saying there? When you were guilty, God paid a price to declare you free. Now listen closely. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, go ahead and tell somebody, there's nothing wrong with you. And tell somebody else, there's nothing wrong with you. Listen closely. Now, I know for us, we may look at people, we may say, this is wrong with you. That's wrong with you. But I want you to see what God sees according to the payment that was paid. It says that since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Here's the thing about God's grace, according to what we read in Scripture. The grace of God simply speaks of something that's free, that you and I can do nothing to earn. See, I am so happy that you're here today at Church at the Bridge with us, worshiping with us, listening to this message. But get this, your attendance here did not get you into a right relationship with God. The suit we wear, right, the hair, you know, going an extra mile, None of that gets us right with God. None of it. No matter how much this head of mine shines, and I, man, do I try to really go close, right? It doesn't make me any better with God. You can relate, brother, right? Thank you, sir. Somebody understands the struggle. I, you know what? The truth is I stopped lying to myself. It was growing all around, but it just wasn't growing here, so I was just like, it's coming off. Anyway, let's get back to the text because this brother's in cuffs, and, he, and they're, they're on tight. But I want you to think about this. The grace of God says this, you're free. You know what the problem is? If we live absent of the truth of this gospel, if we live apart from God, then here's what it leads us to, dead places. But here's the truth. The scripture reveals here that while we were still the enemies of God, we were made right with God. You know, you know what the problem is with our situation sometimes? We've had the key the whole time. And never realized that he's already provided our means of freedom. Yeah. 
Listen, here's the key. Here's the key. What Christ did has paid the price for all sin. The scripture declares this. I don't say this. The scripture says this, that what Jesus did, he did once and for all. The scripture declares that what God did in Christ, he says that I will remove the stain of sin as far as the east is from the west. I will remember it no more. Thank you, sir. And so get this. Listen closely. Here we are remembering and dwelling in dead places. And what we forget is that the tomb was left open to simply remind us of this one thing. The way out has already been provided. Why are you living under that condemnation and guilt? And so today, as we wrap up here, what I want you to consider is this, that God loves you despite sin. I'm going to say that again. You know, in some places, we put so much emphasis on what's wrong with people that they can't see what God has done that's right. We miss the gospel. We beat people down with the word. When Jesus said, I came to give you peace. New life. Watch the focus of God. I believe it's 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17, I believe it is says this, it says, it says that we were, that the old man is passed away. And then it tells us, behold, all things are become new. Watch what God is saying. He's saying, saying, I don't want you looking back. I don't want you going there. I want you simply to behold this one thing, the new life you have. The new day that I provide you every day. The mercy of God and goodness of God. So God loves you despite sin. So much so that he paid the price for it for us. Now, let me just be clear. We can sometimes go to dead places and get dead results. That's not on God. That's on us. But here's the truth. There's mercy. There's grace. What what do we also see here? That God hasn't called you and I into dead places. It's a new day and we have a new path unto a new life. And while we may all feel at some point like we're stuck by impossible situations, by a past that haunts us, by the things that we do, by the habits, the hang-ups that we tend to lean towards, what we see is in the Easter message is that God has opened the door. There's a way out. We don't have to live with shame. And it was all done by Christ. As we close out today, I want to leave you with one more portion of Scripture. Now get this. This is written, you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Basically what those are, are the writings of a guy who was known to be a prophet by the name of Isaiah. The thing about it is that these writings were written over 800 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Which is puzzling. Because what we find in the writings of the Dead Sea Scrolls of this guy Isaiah is this. That he's writing about Jesus Christ. And so listen to what was foretold before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 12 says this. Who has believed our message? Notice the emphasis of God. Not what we do to be in right relationship with him. Here's the one thing that God says. 
Do you believe? Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed this powerful arm? This is talking about Jesus. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about this appearance, about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest of griefs. We turned our back on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought that his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And a sheep is silent before the shearers. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. That his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will save many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that he has accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. I'm going to read that again. My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins, all their sins, all their sins, not some, not just the ones from before, not just the ones from when you walked in here, not just the ones from when you get out of here, but for all sin. Verse 12 says this, I will give him the honors of of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Today as we stand here and we prepare to leave, I want to encourage you to join us as we stand here. Here's what I want you to see. That we live in a world and we live in in times where we're reminded consistently about what's wrong. And the truth is that we all live with that continual conversation. Sometimes, even to the point that God's not an option. But today I want you to see that the tomb is wide open. And because the tomb was left open, 
what God declares to you and I today is this. You don't have to hold on to that judgment. You don't have to live in that shame. You don't have to struggle with a mindset that plagues you and robs you of a new day and new life. Listen, if God let it go, so should you. It's not ours. It's not yours. It's not mine. And so, Father, today we thank you for the precious gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, that you looked upon mankind and you came up with the most ingenious plan of all. You said no one of them, not one of them can pay the price. And so what I'll do is I'll become like them and pay the ultimate price for them. The next time you find yourself feeling condemned, feeling like you don't qualify before God, remember what Jesus declared, not guilty. Remember the words that he declared on the cross, it's finished. Remember that while they were nailing him to the cross and everybody was looking upon him and making a spectacle of him, Christ was making a spectacle, a spectacle of sin and death and he was declaring new life and a new day unto you and I. Hey, it's very possible that there's someone here today. Maybe it's you. And you've never understood relationship with God this way. You've never understood what it is to be actually forgiven by God. Maybe you've perceived it through an old set of eyes. Based upon our own experiences with parents and people and this world. But today, something's changed in your understanding. Today, you realize, wow, the grace of God is something so much greater than what I thought. I understand that even while I was in my worst state, the very best was at work in God's hands for my life. If that's where you are today, and you believe God loves you that way, based upon what you heard today, If you've come to the point where you realize, man, I've been living this all wrong and I need this truth. I need a personal relationship with God. I want to invite you to join us with a prayer. All it is is simply a declaration of what you believe and what's happened in your heart at this moment. It's simply a prayer of acceptance of what God has done. It's accepting Christ as Savior. You know what that simply means? I accept that you paid the ultimate price for me. If you believe that today, then pray this with us. Let's pray this with heartfelt belief. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you paid the price for me. Today I declare that you're my Lord and Savior and that you're my God. And from this day forward, I'm following after you, living in a new day, experiencing new life, finding your very best for my life from this day and forevermore. Come on now, if you prayed that for the very first time, we celebrate what God is doing in your life. Don't leave here without sharing with us what God has done. We want to walk alongside you on this journey of faith. Now, Father, we leave here thanking you for Jesus, celebrating this new day, Easter Sunday, a day that reminds us of the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection power at work in our lives. 
We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Happy Easter. We'll see you again next Sunday. Thanks for joining us.